Welcome to Dear Alice, a lifestyle approach to interior design. Hi guys, I don't know if you have been to our website at alicelanehome.com, but it's such a great way to kind of peruse what we have been curating. We curate from thousands of vendors and my favorite part is our exclusive Jay Bennett collection. Um, these are things that we are designing and building in-house. And we can't wait to get it in your home and for you to have some one-of-a-kind pieces. Um, there's lots of variety. There's new products added all the time. And it's super easy to find what you're looking for. They're broken into categories. And it's a pretty website. So please go visit it. Um, and because you're a listener and we love that you're here, we want you to have a discount. So for 10% off, um, use code DEARALICE10 on all your online purchases. We're so excited you're here with us and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dear Alice. We have a special guest with us today. We've got John Woodley. He is a real estate expert here in the Wasatch Front area. Yeah, we work up and down the Wasatch Front and Wasatch Back. We do Midway and, and uh, Park City. Yeah. Nice. Never heard it called that before. Yeah, that means complete yeah we got the front and the back. I love it. <laughs> front, back, side to side. That's great. Um, so John specializes, um, they, he, they have Woodley Real Estate, he and his brother, and they specialize in the high-end luxury market in real estate, as well as Class A office space. So they're kind of unique in that they hit both things. Um, and they're also our realtor for Alice Lane, um, in, in getting our commercial, both leases over the last, gosh, like 15 years. And then this, the most recent purchase of our land, um, project that we just completed. So anyway, we're big fans and we just felt like it was time to get an expert on the show to talk about this market. It feels like it comes up in conversations socially for me and also in business all day, every day. So we were like, Let's get somebody on here that knows a lot about this and answer our questions. And hopefully this will answer some of yours too. Yeah. And I think not only in Utah, but I think he'll brush also on just like kind of nationally, nationally, what we've seen like in this past year, how it's affected everywhere else, what it's doing to Utah and kind of where it's going. I think that's what I'm the most curious about and I get the most questions about. Yeah. This has been, I feel like in the back of everyone's mind, we're like, what's happening? You know what I mean? Like what's going to, what's coming coming down the pipeline. So thank you for coming. Yes. You bet. I appreciate you guys having me on. Awesome. My pleasure. Thanks so much, John. Okay. First question is, do you feel that we're heading into a downturn in the real estate market and at what level of severity? You're going to hit me right in the juggler. (laughs) Okay. So, um, You know, obviously everyone's going to have their different opinion on that. And you got me here to hear mine. So I, in Utah in particular, we're starting to see a little bit of a plateau, meaning property values are starting to stabilize. And I think a lot of that has to do with consumer confidence coming back. We had a big jolt last year with the feds trying to curb the inflation rate. And so Mm -hmm. they jacked up interest rates Mm -hmm. and we were in this state of euphoria where we were getting rates at 3% and our dollar could go a lot further and Mm -hmm. everyone was upgrading and upsizing their homes. Um, and when they rates jumped up into the sevens, you know, more than doubled that slowed things down quite drastically. So about the middle of 2000 or of 2022 last year till the end of the year, uh, the market slowed down drastically, but we've noticed an uptick since the start of the year. And I think part of that is rates have started to kind of stabilize in the upper fives and buyers are getting used to that being the new norm that, uh, Maybe the days of threes. Are, threes aren't are, normal though, right? No. Five is normal. Historically, it's not. Yeah. If you look at the average, you know, interest rate over the last however many years, hundred years or whatever, you're going to settle in somewhere around six or seven percent. So yeah. we're we're below that right now. Today, you could get a rate, um, you know, five point mm-hmm. eight, 
you know, somewhere in that range right now, I think is what I looked at this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still a great rate, uh, you know, if you're looking back historically, but if you're thinking or looking back on the last few years, it just seems really expensive. Yeah. So my point being that now it's starting to stabilize in the fives, buyers are starting to get a little more accustomed to that and saying, okay, I can get comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and things are starting to move again. Our activity on listings, on properties, the amount of leads are coming in, properties are going back under contract. And I think that's all good. Um, And as far as the global economy, uh, unemployment rates are still super low. Um, We still got a ways to come down on the inflation rate. I think we're in the uh, mid to upper sixes right now. And Feds want to see that around two. Mm. So we're, we're, we were like as high as 10, weren't we? Yeah, we were up there. I don't know what the highest was. It was it 10. Maybe it would have been in high, the, or high nines. Eight, yeah. Mm. Eight, nine, somewhere in there. I don't know if we hit double digits, but uh, yeah, it was up there. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to try and continue to suppress rates um, and slow things down. But uh, I'm bullish on real estate in general. I mean, it all this depends on yeah. your situation. Do you need to make a move right now or not? Like, are you trying to be an opportunistic buyer or seller? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of those opportunistic um, individuals have left the market and those that need to sell are selling and those that need to buy are buying. Um, and so I think it just depends on what your situation is. If I'm going to be an investor or if I'm just trying to upgrade my home. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. yeah. How do you feel buyer confidence is? Um, Do you feel like people are still nervous because we just barely are getting through that? And so are they like, I better wait till spring to list or are they just going for it? I guess it's probably also to like, you know, that's the realtor's job to probably educate. So it probably depends on how good their realtor is at making them. I don't know how good they are at like swindling them. If I mean, it's like (laughs) truth, truth. Right. Right. And there's a lot of apprehension. And I'd say right now, if I'm in a situation where I own my home, Mm -hmm. And I don't have an immediate need to move Mm -hmm. and I'm comfortable where I'm at, meaning the size of the home's good, the location, schools, everything that I'm, those boxes I'm trying to check. And maybe my home is just a little bit older than I want it to be. Maybe I don't go and build right now. Construction Mm -hmm. costs are through the roof right now. Um, And obviously rates are high. So it's Mm -hmm. expensive to go and make that, that Mm -hmm. step up, that upgrade. But maybe I look at improving my current situation and doing a remodel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's even going to set me up better for my next step when I do go to build and improving my current home and, you know, bringing in an Alice Lane or the like to give me a refresh mm-hmm. uh, on furniture, decor, some finishes. Um, and that better will set me up for the sell because buyers aren't in a position right now to, you know, buy a house and put down the 20, whatever percent they need to put down and then come out of pocket another couple of hundred grand to remodel it. Mm-hmm. If me, myself as a seller, I can go ahead and do that for them. If I have the resources and I can sell it to them with that price baked in, and then they only have to put down 20% of the overall purchase price. And that allows them to get a turnkey product, so to speak, mm-hmm. without having to come out of pocket as much money. So usually buyers are going to pay a premium for a home that's turnkey. And for a home that needs work, they're going to expect a discount. So I think that's kind of the standard expectation mm-hmm. there is if you're going to want to get a good value out of your home and you're in a position to improve the value, I would put some money into it. And I do rehab right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's great question, to know. Question to kind of follow up with that. Obviously like we're designers, we go into homes all day and we want to like touch everything and like make everything beautiful. But like from your, from your perspective, what are like the number one things that if you are in that situation, you own your home, you want to start to rehab and do some remodeling so you can kind of prep it for your next move when the market, like when it presents itself, what are the things that you see 
that are the very most important things to, I don't know, to upgrade. Yeah. To make sure that that, the best bang for their buck that like will make you more. um, I'd say the easy things are the lipstick. So that's going to be paint, light fixtures. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe some carpet. Yeah. It'd be like, first thing I like to do is I remove any red flags, Mm -hmm. any things that a buyer is going to come in and see there's water damage or the carpet's Mm -hmm. torn or stained. Mm -hmm. Those things are, those are, that's an easy decision. Those need to first and foremost be taken care of. And then from there, um, I do, uh, kitchens and bathrooms, obviously the most expensive Mm -hmm. areas, the wet areas, Yeah. but that's what gets most buyers the most excited, um, is having a nice kitchen, a nice master bath. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's where I'd allocate my dollars. I'd obviously avoid the basement or the ancillary spaces in the home that aren't going to be as frequently visited or seen, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and f- concentrate my dollars on the areas where I'm going to spend most of my time or where a buyer's first going to go when they walk into your home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about exterior? What'd you do um, exterior? exterior's are actually can be pretty expensive to update as yeah. you guys well know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I guess it would just depend on what it is on the exterior looking to do, um, you know, I definitely think that a facelift, improve, improving the curb appeal goes a long ways. Mm-hmm. I would maybe look at that secondary mm-hmm. to my kitchen or bathrooms. Okay. Um, and then sure. I'd, I'd look outside because that's something that people look at when they first pull up, but then they're spending the majority of the time on a tour. Let's say we allocate 30 to 40 minutes on a tour. They're only looking at the outside for a couple of minutes. The rest yeah. of the time they're in the home. Yeah. And if that really catches their eye, a lot of times they're willing to look past the rest. Yeah. Okay. I remember doing this. Um, we just did a spec home in Dallas, Texas, just right outside Highland Park. And um, it just sold for over asking. We just found that out yesterday. And it's like this luxury spec of 5,000 square feet for empty nesters. Um, It's kind of who he was marketing to. And he said to us before we started designing, I need you to make sure and sort of bake into this memory points because people are going to remember certain key things. So like his example to us was like, do a cobalt blue wall, you know, in the office or something. We're like, Oh snap, we're not (laughs) going to do that. But it was, it's an interesting thing to think about the memory point. And I feel like for the woman, if there's a woman involved in the house, she's going to want to see a beautiful kitchen. Like that's going to be the thing that she's remembering and she's going to picture her family and her world sort of revolving in some of these things. She might be okay with looking past the small laundry room, but I would say for sure, spend time on that. And maybe even the entry, because it's like your first, impression but and also I think just like the scullery was a memory point that he's just like make sure the scullery or just like the pantry area that like it's kind of their mud room but it's also where like you're gonna spend some time she's like make that make that special because it could be nothing yep you know and you could bypass it but if it's awesome and she can see herself actually using it he's like make it awesome so, so you didn't go with the blue cobalt then I take it. You didn't want the, we didn't, he went down. ahead and did that. We were in a competition <laughs> to see whose spec would sell first. And he let us know yesterday that we won. So that was I real like nice. That. <laughs> yeah. Not sold first. Cause they just, they listed it at the very, very end. Yeah. But that he got more than asking. Well, yeah. I think so I remember uh, a few years back, you guys did a parade home and it blew up social media with, was it flamingos in the bathroom or something? Oh, there was yeah. some print. They a got a ton Gucci of Gucci wallpaper. Yeah. 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 Herons. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. Tiger Oak. There you is go. the project. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, I actually ended up selling that home. Yes. We, we, we remodeled that for it, her. Yeah. Right. And you, you did, you double dipped on that one and yeah. you just established job <laughs> the first and the second <laughs> Thank time. You. Um, but yeah. to your point, you know, maybe some, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe something that makes true. it memorable. Memory point, yeah. Because yeah. everyone knew that home. As I was selling it, the reason why I bring that up is everyone had that hashtag Tiger Oak from when you guys did yeah. the initial parade and your design. 
And it, uh, you know, it brought a lot of hype and excitement around the home because we're like, oh, I know that home. I've seen it before. Either they saw it online or on Instagram mm-hmm. or they, yeah. they walked through it during the parade. And yeah, so um, that was a, one of the easier sales that we've been involved in just because it was staged and designed mm-hmm. so well. So you guys did. That's good to know. Home. When putting money into these areas uh, that we were talking about, in your opinion, like, do you think it's better to kind of like play it safe and be like, oh, like do a white kitchen or, or do you think it's to, you know, to maybe put some money in and put your style into it and maybe make it a little bit more memorable and like more editorial. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's in good taste. Yeah. I'd say that would be the good taste is relative. Right. But (laughs) we usually tend to err on, you know, going down the middle and not going to either extreme just to appeal to the masses. Right. Um, depends on the type of home. You know, if it has a main floor master, main level living, mm-hmm. and it could t- tailor to a younger family as well as a, a an older family, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, obviously there's going to be multiple generations of prospective buyers there. But if you get something that's in a younger neighbor, a little bit more hip, a little bit more modern, uh, you know, it has a master on the second floor. So that's going to rule out some of your older population and a few of those things. Maybe you can get a little bit more, um, you know to one side or the other, a little bit more extreme and cheeky. There you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. In the design. But as a general rule, it's like we say, make it look nice and classy. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, you know, what was the term you used? In good taste. In good taste. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I like that. In good taste. And then let whoever buys it, put their personal spin on it. Yeah. You go spend a ton of money on something that you think is just going to, you know, mm-hmm. knock their socks off lights Ooh. out. And they're looking at it going, we're going to have to tear that out. We're going to have to You're re- like adding re- the cost to put in and they're subtracting that out and yeah. then adding in what they're going to have to put back like in. They're going to cabinets. So they're going to have to cabinets. repaint that cobalt wall. That's right. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah no. totally. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I guess one of the questions was, in your opinion, what are the best ways for the homeowner to mitigate equity or value loss during the economic downturn? So you're saying let's remodel, let's sort of, um, to stay ahead of the pack, let's do some things that are just neutral that everybody will like. And if you don't know, maybe ask a couple of friends that you're close to and kind of take the general idea if you're unsure, right? I recommend getting a designer involved. I mean, that's what... Mm -hmm. They do for a living. Thanks, John. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, <laughs> re- regardless of what yeah, podcast I'm, I'm on, kidding, for sure. I would never remodel or build a home without having a professional designer. Um, yeah. That's just me stepping outside of my scope, trying to pretend yeah. like that's something that, you know, is my expertise when it's not. Um, and I don't do it every day. Mm-hmm. Do you see the vet? Va- you see the value back in that? Absolutely. When, when mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. No, 100%. The value's there. Um, and having a team around you to help you make, to protect you from yourself, honestly. Yeah. Um, it's nice to have a soundboard and have a few different opinions yeah. mm-hmm. to come up with the best possible outcome. And yeah. I think that takes a team. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do isolated one off by yourself because anyhow, you just need a little outside perspective and advice. Yeah, People that have good. been there before. It's like I trying mean, to cut your own hair, right? Yeah. And your builder's not your designer. Yes. I will say that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. And wood tile is not or a wood floor. Wood tile is not wood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about it LVP? Like it. I know. LVP is not wood. <laughs> you know what's funny with that is the majority of the population can't tell the difference. I can't tell you how many times I go in a home and I got the client doubled over, scratching with their finger. Stop trying to it. Out, is and you're real wood. I'm like, does it matter if you don't know? <laughs> I mean, tell them what LVP is. We can tear it out and pay for new hardwood, but yeah. I can just tell you it's hardwood and then we don't even have to worry about that. Yeah. LVP is a vinyl, basically. In case yeah. you guys like don't wood, know. So a lot of people here use it in their basement specifically because of flooding and things like that. So it becomes a, a responsible thing to do. Um, yeah. We prefer wood. We prefer the real thing. Use yeah. engineered. We love engineered. Yeah. Just now. 
Yeah, or or tile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Put some heels on and walk around. You'll know. Right? <laughs> You'll know where you're walking. Around. John's like, don't tell them. They yeah. think it's what. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you do you. I think that's called puffery in real estate. <laughs> oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's great. It's beautiful. Hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I love it. honestly, like you look at the stuff that's around and what people like make decisions on, and like it's it's so influenced by just like what is trendy. People still think that gray is awesome. People still think that white in like the general market, mm-hmm. right? And so please don't, don't show me another white kitchen. No, <laughs> no. And honestly, magazines don't want to see it either. So, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, be discerning, find someone that you love and, and at least, I don't know, take note from what they're doing. That's in good taste. Yeah, right? absolutely. So. Yeah. Did you know that 35% of adults report experiencing poor sleep quality? Let me put you onto something that is going to transform your sleep. Cozy Earth Bedding is temperature regulating people. This is huge. If you and your spouse do not sleep at the same temperature, which most people don't, I'm freezing, my husband's hot. This is a massive benefit and breakthrough for us when we started sleeping on Cozy Earth. You can both sleep on the same mattress with the same sheets and be completely comfortable They also have a 100-night sleep trial guarantee and a 10-year warranty, which I don't know of anybody that does this. They're that confident in the product, and so am I. When I first touched Cozy Earth products, I could not believe the soft hand on it. It also almost has like a cool feel to your hand. hand. It's like slippery dolphin, like your feet swishing around is so, so addictive. I can't sleep with anything but cozy earth sheets. I'm obsessed. Um, Also, you need to treat yourself to the ultimate comfort with cozy earth. I love the sleepwear. I love the sweats and the bedding is amazing. You can prioritize your self-care, your sleep health. If you just head over to cozyearth.com and use the promo code Dear Alice for an exclusive 35% off. You guys, we don't have to wait for a sale. You can use this anytime. Again, the code is Dear Alice for an exclusive 35% off. Better sleep awaits you with Cozy Earth. Yeah, that's great. Okay, switching gears. How have you helped clients grow their wealth through real estate? And what are the reasons why so many financially successful people use real estate to grow their wealth? Great question. Um, there's a lot of tax benefits to real estate. Mm. Um, you can, but I don't want to get too technical on this podcast, but essentially, you know, if you own a home mm-hmm. and you live in it, you can write off your mortgage interest. So the portion of your loan that you pay that goes towards interest, you can deduct on your taxes. So that's a huge benefit just for home ownership in general. But if you take it to the next step and you want to be a real estate investor, and to Jessica's question, or Jess, is the why do so many wealthy people park their money in real estate is because there's additional tax benefits as an investment. Um, and you can actually depreciate the asset. And that confused a lot of people because they're like, why would I want my property to depreciate and go down in value? It has nothing to do with the market value of the home. It has everything to do with the taxable basis of what the government allows you to offset your income from that property mm-hmm. through depreciation. And it's a great vehicle to get tax-free income. You're basically delaying the tax owed. It's, mm-hmm. So um, that's a great opportunity there. The other one is, you know, real estate is a roller coaster. It's got its ups and downs, its Mm -hmm. peaks, its valleys. But if you draw a line graph right through the middle of the peaks and valleys and find your midpoint there, overall, you're trending up on average around 3% a year of appreciation over the last hundred years. And so it's just a timing thing in real Mm -hmm. estate. It's Mm -hmm. time is your friend. It's not a get rich quick scheme. Mm -hmm. 
It's a slow and steady, safe way to make a living and to provide a retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, it can be a passive income. So mm-hmm. that's the main reason that appeals to me is real estate happens to be my active income, but it's also my passive. It's, mm-hmm. I, I am a broker by trade. And so every day I'm out hustling with clients, trying to help people buy and sell and lease. I love my job, but I don't want to do it to the casket. Right. Mm -hmm. So at some point I'd like to be able to, you know, have a little bit more free time to do as I will. And I don't know if I'll ever retire, so I'm not going to call it that, but let's just say a little bit more free time on the calendar Mm -hmm. and the way, you know, my path there is through real estate. I have rental properties that I own Mm -hmm. and regardless of whether I'm at work or at home asleep or on vacation, those tenants, they need to pay rent. And it's a, it's a passive revenue stream for me. Mm-hmm. And it's one or two of those doors doesn't really do it for you. It's probably not gonna get you excited, but if you just do slow and steady and have a goal to acquire a property or two a year or every other year, you know, by the time you're ready to retire from whatever your day job is, whatever it is you spend your, your career on, you should have a f- decent portfolio built up that has a nice revenue stream coming in. And the benefit to that also is not only have I been getting cash flow along the way, but real estate also appreciates so it's going up in value, going back to what we talked about, those mm-hmm. peaks and valleys. If you smooth those out, I'm getting a few percent a year in appreciation. Mm-hmm. And then you also can leverage real estate, mm-hmm. meaning I don't have to pay cash for the whole thing. I can go and put 20, 25% down on a property and a little bit harder to do in this market with where rates are at, yeah. but uh, rental rates are going up. So mm-hmm. that's helping cash flow. But what I can do there is I can get a loan on it mm-hmm. and my tenants basically pay off my mortgage for me. So every month, mm-hmm. I make a mortgage payment. That's more equity in my pocket mm-hmm. and it's not coming from me. So it's not money out of my pocket. It's just money coming in. Mm-hmm. And so my value's going up, my debt's going down. I got some free cash flow, and I'm hedging how much I got to pay uncle Sam. So those are my four benefits in real estate. And that's why I like it. And I believe so many others just to your question have chosen real estate as an investment vehicle. Yeah. So can you t- teach us, um, what is the best way to get started in real estate for someone that has a hundred thousand, 500,000 or a million dollars? Great question. Um, I bought my first property when I was 23. Congrats. That's so cool. Congrats. Yeah. Except uh-huh. I wish I would have started when I was 18. I oh. thought I was four years behind. Or, what was that? Five years behind the curve there. That's what I tell anyone that I come in contact with is yeah. buy a home, live in it because uh-huh. that's the best way to get into the investment game. Mm-hmm. Cause if I live in it, I get two benefits. I get a lower interest rate because it's owner occupied. So mm-hmm. they, it's usually right now it's around a percent lower interest rate for an owner occupied borrower than someone buying it for an investment. Mm-hmm. The second thing is I can put less money down. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to live in the property, there's loan programs out there. You get hundred percent financing FHA, you put three and a half percent down a conventional loan. The minimum's five. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm going to buy it as an investment, my minimum's typically 20 to 25% down, depending on the property in the area. Mm. And so it's a lot more money, a lot higher barrier to entry to get a rental property mm-hmm. by buying it if I'm just going to buy it as a straight investment. But if I buy it to live in it, all I have to do, the loan governance or the, the docs that you sign at closing state that I just have to intend to occupy the property for one year. Mm. After that, I keep that same owner-occupied lower rate and I can rent it out as I please. Nice. Um, and so that's what I've done is I. So for the fourplex, you lived in one of the mm-hmm. units and rented out three. percent down. Nice. FHA loan, lived oh, in oh. one mm-hmm. and uh, rents were $600 a unit when I moved in or when I bought it. And I think I still own the same fourplex 14 years later, 15. And it's uh, each one's like 950 to a thousand. Cool. Um, and guess what? Hasn't changed my debt. 
I still pay the same amount. And so, and it's appreciated. I paid $232,000 and it's probably worth 900, 950,000. That's great. Um, I haven't harvested that because I haven't sold it, but the equity's there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm just doing it for the you know, the uh, okay. passive income uh, mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Well, and you haven't had to pay off that 232,000. Someone else deals that's out right. it for That's right. Tenants are doing it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So yeah. that's great. And even while I was living in it, they were paying my mortgage for me. That's awesome. I wasn't cash flowing because I was living in it, but it also wasn't costing me much. because You wouldn't have to pay somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I mean, you that's have right. to live somewhere. So, so that's why I say, even so the key them, is to live in it for a year. The key is to live in intent. Yeah, there you go. That's oh, the tricky. Like yeah. Um, so define that. Does that mean like, oopsies, I'm going to move. It's been six months. Well, or be careful there. We don't ever, we try and, you know, we like to be above the board straight. here. Yeah. yeah. So sure. it's, you intend to occupy it. There's extenuating circumstances, job loss, mm-hmm. job transfer. If you move out of a certain radius of the property and you can no longer occupy mm-hmm. it and maintain your current role or job, then the lender is typically going to let you go and get another loan Rented as a primary out. residence and yeah. understand. Got now, it. if they think that you're just trying to cheat the system and I go and buy an owner-occupied property every other month, they're going to catch on to that. They're going to mm-hmm. decline me for that application for a loan and they're going to say, hey, yeah. you can't buy another primary. This needs to be an investment. Got it. Yeah. Is okay. there is there a benefit like, let's say it is, uh, you do like an owner-occupied loan, like it, does that change tax benefits at all? Like if... If yeah. I own or occupy and I'm yeah. living in it, yeah, or, or then versus... I can only write off the mortgage interest. But once it becomes an investment, then I can depreciate it. Okay. So I can offset my my cash flow on it. So do you think the 1% difference in interest, uh, you, it, it would be better just to get the higher rate and then depreciate it? No. Okay. I do not. Yeah. No, I would get the lower interest rate and then I would just convert it into an investment property in a year. And then I'd go buy another property as an owner occupied investor. Cause the other component there, it's a great question is that the amount of cash out of pocket. So let's just look for, mm-hmm. you know, sake of around numbers, right? I got, I'm buying a $500,000 property. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to buy it as an investment, I'm going to put, you know, at least a hundred grand down. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm going to buy it as an owner occupied, I could be in a scenario where I'm only putting down 20 grand or 25 grand, right? Yeah. 5% yeah. depending on what type of loan you're getting. Um, so it's a big Delta in the cash out of pocket. So I can accumulate more assets, more doors, more rooftops in a shorter period of time by buying them and living in them for a year. Unless mm-hmm. I just have an absorbent amount of cash, but we're talking a scenario I got a hundred grand ish, right? A hundred, so, five hundred or a yeah. million. So, so now if you start getting into a scenario where, you know, you got established family, you got kids, they're in schools, neighborhood, mm-hmm. you got a nice home, that 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 mold no longer works. Now you're just going to be buying stuff as an investment property day one because mm-hmm. you're not going to go move into a $500,000 red brick 1970s fourplex. Right. Um, but for those that are starting out, those first few years, um, 100%, that's what I'd recommend. You're more nimble. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go have the big, nice home. Yeah, you don't kids have aren't in stuff. schools that you really care about a whole lot yet. And yeah. so you got a little more flexibility. That's a really great point. I know. I'm like, that's great advice as far as like, even for our own children, like as they grow up to be like, this is something you should do. And so how can we prepare you mm-hmm. to be in that position to do that? You're you know? sure. Or us as parents kind of us like think parents. of that, like exactly. for our kids and be like, this is my, this is this my, this is my gift to you. Yeah. Yeah. You like know, you're going like to need, down payment you know, for mm-hmm. your yeah. first property while you're in college. And then. Yeah. I think that's a great totally. thing. If yeah. you want to help your children out, gift them their down payment on their first home. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tied up. They can't spend it. They can't waste it, but it's going towards building Thanks. wealth. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, 
yeah, I, everyone's going to have their own opinion on that, but rather than go buy them a nice car, go mm-hmm. help them get a house, help yeah. them get an asset yeah. that yeah. appreciates. That's not, smart. Not a liability. Cars are yeah. liabilities. Yeah. If you're disciplined with it, that cash flow you make in real estate, you can take that and go use it to acquire more assets, right? Mm-hmm. So one thing that I regret about what I did, that fourplex that I bought, I call it rat hole, but I lived in it for eight years. Wow. I had two kids in that, and I thought I was so smart because... I wasn't paying my mortgage and my tenants were, and I was buying other properties, but I was buying them, putting 20, 25, 25% down because it had to be as an investment because I wasn't living in them. Mm-hmm. If I could do it all over again, I would have moved every year and mm-hmm. lived in it mm-hmm. rather than staying put and trying to save my dollars and, you know, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, you know, economical, I guess is I was a little mm-hmm. short-sighted there because I thought I was being smart with my money, but you know, the greater opportunity there is that whole owner occupied component and you have the ability to do that every year. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really smart. Thanks for letting us learn from that. (laughs) Random question. Like if you are going to get an investment property, what are your thoughts about Airbnb versus rental? I was curious about that. I get that a a lot. I think you get, Thomas is in here too. I think Uh in our company, in our office, we probably, Several times a week, people reach out to us and want to know about Airbnbs. Um, I'd say that's probably dipped a little bit as of late because I think more and more people are seeing higher vacancy and they're having to eat mortgages with no rent coming in. And Being on Airbnb? Being on Airbnb. Yeah. Thank you for the clarification. I think that yeah. risk and reward are aligned in all things. Mm-hmm. And doing a nightly rate or charging a nightly rate and doing nightly rentals, you, have a, you stand to gain more, right? Because you can get more than if you lock someone in for a year on nightly rentals, but you also stand to cost yourself a lot of money too, because if you have most people, their break even on average, I'd say it's probably, if I rent it out for 10 days a month, I'm good. That should be easy. That's only a third of the month. Yeah. Um, but people go where they only have a couple days a month or they got to discount their rate and it no longer pencils at 10 days a month. Yeah. Um, and they're having to eat that mortgage and it's not fun to pay a mortgage that you're not living in. It doesn't provide a roof over your head mm-hmm. and it's not bringing money in. Now you could argue it, well, it's still appreciating and you, it's still an asset, but mm-hmm. no one wants to feed anything. You, the important thing about real estate is this buying smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just owning real estate in general, I wouldn't say is a smart thing as much as it is owning the right real estate in the right location yeah. at the right value under the right terms mm-hmm. will set you up for financial freedom for the rest of your life. And not only in that, you, you know, your children, and it could be the gift that just keeps on giving. The nice thing about it is you don't ever have to sell it to harvest the cash flow. Right. You can get that in yeah. every month. And so I all the rent to answer your question, everything I own is on annual contracts, 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do nightly rentals. I have a lot of clients uh, and friends that do that. And some of them done better, some of them not so well. And mm-hmm. what I will tell you is it's like a it's like a compulsive gambler. They only tell you when they're up. Yeah. Uh, they don't tell you about the months <laughs> where funny. they got rugged or they dry yeah. months. Yeah, where yeah. they where they went in the hole. Yeah. Um, so I just be weary there. Yeah. There's some markets that are great for nightly rentals and people have crushed it and made a ton of money. There's other markets that aren't so great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Utah. Park City, if you can find the right zoning or area where it's allowed, you could do really well. Mm-hmm. St. George, same thing. But a lot of those areas, the the citizens- Springville, Utah is probably not like the hot spot I mean, there for might Airbnb. Be, you probably have a few followers that have an Airbnb in Springville <laughs> yeah. and they'll be like, who's this guy you have on the show? He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm crushing it in there. <laughs> and that may be the case and I hope I'm wrong. But oh. no, it's it's it's- it's vacation locations, yeah. secondary mm-hmm. home markets. Um, so St. George for the temperature, right? Mm-hmm. In the winter and Park mm-hmm. City for the winter recreation and the snow. Mm-hmm. But like Springville, Utah, 
I mean, it's a great place, but I don't know what's drawn people from outside yeah. of Utah to come stay in Springville exactly. for a few days. Here's yeah. one. Yeah. I'll add this to the list. I have a brother that lives in Linden, just right outside of Orem. He has a carriage house above his garage that's um, really beautiful, full kitchen, full family room, one big bedroom with king bed, rented almost every night of the year because parents from BYU students or UVU students find it. They've got like bridal parties that want to stay there. They throw parties up there. It's quite big. It's nice. It's detached from the house. It's above the garage. There's plenty of parking. For some reason, just that proximity to the university has also been a good one for them. And it's attached to the house. So it's really cute. And so they're paying their mortgage anyway. And it's just like all gravy up there because it's attached to the house. I mean, kind of, you know what I mean? That's a great comment you bring up, Jess. It's not just, I guess, second home markets and vacation destinations. Mm -hmm. It's also, there's a draw, a major university where people come in for Uh education week and sporting events and graduation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Find your niche and exploit it. Um, I have a few people that delve in that market here locally by BYU, the university of Utah, UVU. And it just seems like as of late, what I'm hearing is it's a little saturated. There's a lot of people that have joined, jumped They've on that bandwagon, the yeah. gold rush, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's all kind of dried up. And so they're seeing more days vacant and they're not able to charge as high of a nightly rate or as much of a premium. Yeah. So I just do your homework, do your research Yeah. before you go and buy an Airbnb, go look on Airbnb and see what's out there. Go mm-hmm. stay in one, um, watch yeah. the market for a while and see what the flows are, the market cycles. I mean, it's probably a lot easier to do one at, for example, yes, your brother or brother-in-law, whoever it was around, you know, BYU football games in the mm-hmm. fall. Well, what does it look like in April mm-hmm. or in March? Yeah. How, what's, yeah. what are the rates? What's the occupancy like in those times of year? So kind of, you know, educate yourself. Yeah. Find your niche. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's easier to just for me. <laughs> yeah. Put a tenant in there for a year and just know I'm going to get X number of dollars every month. And I just make sure that whatever my income is, is going to be more than what my expenses are, right? Yeah. And simple math. Obviously, that makes a lot of more, sense. Super smart. We got to perform. Well, you don't have to, you don't have to run over there and clean it every night. And right. There's a lot of maintenance. Your management fees with. are a lot higher yeah. with an Airbnb. Yeah. If you're going to do it yourself, great. You just need to be available and just know that you just signed yourself up for a, a full-time job. So yeah. it's harder to travel <laughs> when you need to be there to turn Daily tenants landlord. over. Yeah. But yeah. also know that there's a lot of regulation around nightly rentals and HOAs, CCNRs, mm-hmm. certain subdivisions or communities don't like it in general, so okay. they'll restrict it. And then also municipalities or cities will restrict it. So you need to make sure that you're buying in an area where it's legally approved because a lot of people go, oh, that's fine. I, I can get away with it. My brother, cousin, sister, aunt, dog walker, they do it and they make a ton of money and I've never had a problem. Well, it's not a problem until it is. All it takes is one yeah. neighbor that gets sick of the four cars parked out front yeah. or a tenant that brings a dog or parties late they you see the beer bottles outside and they just call in the city and then they come out and they'll notice you. And then the fun's yeah. over because yeah. you got to conform to zoning laws and your margins just drastically drop. And you got to right? get yourself a full-time yeah. job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, next question, changing um, topics a little bit. What can previous downturns teach us about opportunities in real estate? I think that, you know, it's really hard to get to look outside of the current situation that we're in. And this applies to everything outside of real estate. That's really, a really good point. We're kinda, yeah. we're in, we live in the moment yep. yeah. and it's hard to have that long-term vision. And real mm-hmm. estate is very much a long-term vision game. Yeah. Um, a lot of people talk about fix and flips. Sure, yeah. there's, any, there's always caveats to anything we're going to mm-hmm. talk about 
where someone's made it doing something against the norm or what we're yeah. going to say is the right strategy. But as a general rule, you're going to buy and hold real estate and you're going to make your money over time, mm-hmm. not overnight. And I would just say, remember that if you're going to buy any asset today, you need to make sure that it pencils to own for five or 10 years. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to turn around and sell it in a year or two. If you're doing a mm-hmm. fix and flip and you end up sitting on that thing, it doesn't sell. You need to make mm-hmm. sure that you can run it out for more than what your monthly costs are to hold on to it. Or, you know, if I'm going to buy something, I want to make sure that my cash flows are going to be in line that whether I hold it for five, 10, 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. I'm the type of financing, the debt I get on it. Mm-hmm. I'm in a safe spot to where it makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people right now are they've gotten arms the last few years, adjustable rate mortgages. And so those are coming due depending on the type of arm they have. Yikes. Three, five, seven, ten years. And that's bad news. Yeah. That's and bad news and it penciled right at an arm because they were paying two and a half, three percent, but didn't lock once in. It gets, once, it, once that fixed period's up and it adjusts, and now they're going to be paying six, mm-hmm. seven, you know, and yeah. if it doesn't pencil at that, you find yourself upside down. So you just got to be careful. Yeah. So how should we invest um, during this, during this period, during um, the next few years? Opportunistic. I think that we're in a time when the only people looking to sell have to sell. Mm-hmm. You don't find too many sellers right now that are, Ooh, market's up. I'm going to try and go and make a ton of money off my home. That's what it's been the last couple of years. Yeah. You know? COVID yeah. kind of threw us in a tailspin there and, you know, added fuel onto that fire, but it's shifted more the leverage to the buyer. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm a buyer that can be choosy, mm-hmm. I can take my time, um, wait for a seller that, you know, had a job change. No, I mean, I don't want to say prey on people's misfortune, but inevitably yeah. that's what's happening is look for someone that's highly motivated. It could be find the right, it. find the right opportunity is how I look at it. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you could be in a scenario where they lost their job, but it could also be they're building a home and the home just happened to be finished in January mm-hmm. in the middle of winter mm-hmm. while kids are in school and there's snow on the ground when most sellers wouldn't choose to sell, but mm-hmm. now they need to, cause they have no need for a second home. That's just going to sit vacant. Yeah. So they're mm-hmm. going to be more inclined to get off of that you know, asset that becomes a liability when it's sitting there vacant mm-hmm. and uh, you can get a better buy on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, are, there's a lot of talk about debt. Hey, it's high, you know, it's expensive. It is, but let's say rates drop. You can always refinance. Mm-hmm. So you can always capitalize if rates turn down, you know, drop to back into the threes again, let's say that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can go and refinance it and lock in a 3% rate. Mm-hmm. So the risk you're taking is just in the, in the near term. You need to make sure that you can pencil yeah or afford whatever the current rates are today. Got it. Yeah. Were you surprised in 2020 when the market like turned around and like became really great for like businesses like us where people are just like home in home all day and they're like, I got to change everything. Cause <laughs> I've been not, in here for too long. did not see that coming. Anyway, yeah. Were you surprised? Yeah, actually I was, you know, just like everyone else that I think for us, it hit mid March and mm-hmm. you know, there was a period there for about a month, month and a half. We're like, man, how long is this going to last? What's this mean? It's mm-hmm. dead. No one's out touring. No one wants to see homes. No one yeah. wants to sell them. Mm-hmm. And it was really slow. But then end of April, it just turned on and came back on with a vengeance. And I, then we were wishing that we were back in COVID again when we had yeah. spare time and time off. For, yeah. 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 And it didn't let up until about, I don't know, April, May of this mm-hmm. last year. So it had a yeah. really good run of about two years. Crazy. Um, and uh, Utah's still, I mean, we're still moving stuff, selling stuff's trading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, people are worried about inventory levels, but they're still, I mean, we're right in line with where inventory levels were pre-COVID and everyone's Mm -hmm. forgetting that pre-COVID, it was a seller's market. It was strong. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Things were trading. Oh, that's good to hear. Um, that was good to it hear. It just, yeah. you know, COVID kind of exacerbated our, our inventory issue. So yeah. we're still in a great spot as it's, far as inventory is concerned. Yeah. As far, you know, if you're a seller. Mm-hmm. If I'm a buyer, I'd like to see more inventory, right? Uh-huh. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the unemployment rate, which we talked about before, a lot of people are still employed, have jobs, are making money, and they have good equity in their home. So they're not looking to sell right now. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of builders are going, whoa, what's going to happen here with rates? Not as many buyers out looking. So they're slowing the engine down and they're not going out and acquiring a bunch of raw land and developing it and improving lots and going vertical mm-hmm. on spec homes because they want to see how this goes. So that's going to create a major cog in the supply chain. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, as consumer confidence starts to come back and more buyers want to buy, we're going to be right back in that same situation we were in before where there's a ton of demand and not a whole lot of supply to service that demand. Yeah. Um, and so we're already seeing that a little bit. Yeah. Oh. How long is that cycle? Like how That's long is, is the slow cycle versus how long are we going to be in Sorry, this before it starts to question. take off again? Cause I mean, I think you were doing this in 2008. I started in 04. So I saw yeah. the, the, boom, the boom yeah, and then the crash. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so I guess we could talk about that. Um, the best time to have bought in a piece of real estate in Utah was the middle of 2009. Mm-hmm. That's when values hit rock bottom. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And our peak was 2006, 2007. So mm-hmm. from peak to trough, it only took about two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it took us we didn't pass pre uh, pre recession prices until 2016. So to climb wow. out of 20, 2009 wild. bottom to get back where we were in 2006, 2007, it took seven years. It took to 2016. Dang. But now we've been on a just steam, you know, whatever you want to call it, like a bullet train, train from yeah. 2016 to 2023. Mm-hmm. Values have gone up. Now we've seen a little bit of a correction over the past six to 12 months, but yeah. we're still well above what it's we It's not like 2008. No, I don't yeah. think this is a real estate crash. I, I think uh, it's a little bit different uh, market correction that we're in right now. Probably more of a normal I love dip. the word market yeah. correction. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> yeah. so much it's like softer. A, a gentle marshmallow yeah. of a word. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, we're, we're, yeah. we're heading towards a market correction. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. This session um, is so intense. Totally. Um, what is the hottest real estate market right now? And what is next Ooh. in your opinion? Hottest market. In Utah and Ashley, if you do know. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, I it's it's changed for a while there. It was like Salt Lake City, Utah and Boise, Idaho. Um, COVID created kind of a unique situation where people could ha- keep their coastal jobs and mm-hmm. coastal salaries. I could work for a company from the Bay mm-hmm. and make the California wages, and I could come and live in Provo, Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah, or Boise, Idaho, and keep that same salary mm-hmm. and enjoy you know, the benefits of being close to the mountains, outdoor recreation, lower tax rate, lower cost mm-hmm. of living, um, and benefits. So there's a ton of people. We were relocating them from all over, from Boston, New York, a ton mm-hmm. from Seattle, mm-hmm. Portland, mm-hmm. LA, San Francisco, all of the, you know, the coastal states mm-hmm. were coming inland and they wanted more land, a bigger home. Now that we're working from home, they started to care about whether they had a yard or not. And they didn't want that mm-hmm. high rise, you know, yeah. Apartment. They all, they in, all bought a dog during COVID, and they the dog needed a, a yard. They started to breed them, and then, yeah. gosh. Um, and so that that brought a lot of people here, and these were great markets. We saw a ton of appreciation on both the rental rate side as well as on property values. Mm. 
now that's starting to shift a little bit more where now we're starting to see a little bit more of a, a I'd say a movement back to some of those mm-hmm. nicer weather, sunny coastal areas. Yeah. Um, you know, where would I put my dollars right now? I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to go on record and say, this is the market you need to go to without first buying there. So you guys all push up my values. But um, <laughs> um, I would say that regardless of that, I'm a firm believer in investing in what you know and where you live. So a lot of people get caught up in saying, oh, well, you know, Tennessee was a big market for a while. And I know several people bought a ton of homes there and certain parts of Florida and in the panhandle there, and there's a ton of appreciation happening but now I'm beholding to someone else's knowledge, expertise. I can't drive by it. I can't see it, mm-hmm. you know, and you just hear horror stories about like I had one client that bought a home on the East coast um, from an investor and the numbers looked really good and they go and they buy the home for you. They fix it up, they manage it, they rent it out and you don't have to do anything. It's turnkey. All you do is write a check. Well, somewhere along the process, he was, you know, it's always on him, right? He should have verified, but he just gave too much control, too much trust there. Mm-hmm. And they never put homeowner's insurance on the property. Oh, so he gets no. a call one day Oopsies. that the neighbor's garbage can <laughs> combusted because he put the grass clippings in the garbage can and it caught on fire and burnt the house down. Shut and up. so his property manager calls to tell him, he's like, oh, you know, I'm so glad that uh, no one was harmed. Is everyone okay? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, what did the insurance company say? say? And he's like, well, that's why I'm calling you. Um, there's no insurance on the property. So they were a white glove, soup to nuts investment firm minus the insurance portion. (laughs) So that's like kind of an extreme. Fine print, my goodness. Yeah, it's it's an extreme, um, you know, uh, know, uh, circumstance there. I wouldn't say that that's going to happen to too many people, but it's just something to keep in mind to be wary of. Dot Mm -hmm. your I's, cross your T's, don't let your guard down, ask the right questions, do your research. I'd for sure fly out and visit any market where I was going to invest any substantial amount of money, Mm -hmm. see, touch, feel. That's one thing I love about real estate. It's tangible. Mm -hmm. Um, And land's not going anywhere. There's scarcity in supply. What was available 100 years ago is available today. Mm -hmm. And so that's what drives values up. But just make sure you're comfortable with that area and that market and you're familiar with it. Know Mm -hmm. what the risks are and the upside potential. Yeah, that's great. Um, What's the difference between residential and commercial real estate? And why do people choose to invest in one over the other? Um, Well, that's a good question. People invest in both. The most common one to invest in would be residential because it's the lowest barriers to entry. Mm-hmm. It's the easiest. People mm-hmm. understand it. Yeah. Um, they you know, can live we, in it. Yeah, we live in it. And we're all, we're humans. We need basic necessities mm-hmm. to sustain life. We need food, water, and shelter. So we mm-hmm. always need a roof over our head. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, residential is an easy one because I can buy a home, a condo, a townhome, and people are going to need a place to, to live and I can rent it to them. But that's also going to, we talked about earlier, risk and reward are aligned. There's not a whole lot of risk there. So my upside isn't as great. Now, if I go on, I flip to commercial side and I want to go buy a track of land and I want to build in industrial is really big right now, warehouse with, mm-hmm. you know, the Amazons of the world, sure. and e-retail, right? So yeah. Yeah. or e-commerce, that that's a, an opportunity there. You could look at office buildings, mm-hmm. building offices and renting them out to tenants. Um, there's a lot of different sectors of the real estate market, which I love because mm-hmm. it gives you a lot of opportunity to hedge your risk. And I think the 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 short answer would be, I think you should invest in several of them and hedge your risk. Do both multifamily, single family, some industrial, some office, mm-hmm. maybe some retail and have a diversified portfolio. But if I'm just getting started out, everyone reads those books, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to go buy a 
a massive, you know, industrial office park mm-hmm. or retail center and I'm going to retire and that's everything. Uh, that's the barriers to entry there are hard. It's really yeah. hard to get into that game. And so I think you kind of, it's a ladder approach. You kind of step your way up and uh-huh. a great way to start. It's like we talked about buy a property, live in it for a year, less money down, lower interest rate. It provides a roof over your head. You need it today. You have use out of it and then turn it into the rental down the road. And as you get more discretionary income and you get more, uh, you, you know, well healed, get your mm-hmm. feet underneath you, then you can start to delve into some more higher risk investments. Um, I, I've done really well with uh, manufactured housing with mobile home parks. Mm-hmm. You know, that's done really well. Industrial, like I said, has done really well right now, but those are areas where, for example, just the financing, when I say higher barriers to entry, what do you mean by that? If I'm going to get a commercial loan, it, you can't fix it for 30 years. Mm-hmm. It, we, we talked about bloom payments yeah. or ARM, adjustable rate mortgage. Mm-hmm. I can only fix that rate for a few number, you know, three, five, seven, ten 10 years. And then from there, I'm open, beholding to the market uh, yeah. fluctuation on rate there. So it's a little bit more high risk there because mm-hmm. my loan's going to come due or my rate's going to change before I own the, the asset free and clear. Right. Whereas with a residential home, I could get a mortgage on it for 30 years. And when I make my 360th payment, I now own that asset asset. So I don't care what rates are at that time. Yeah. So that's just one example yeah. of why commercial is a little bit more risky from a financing standpoint. Mm-hmm. Never mind the fact that there's a little bit more stringent underwriting guidelines, like your personal balance sheet, your debt to income, the amount of money required to put down on that investment's a lot higher or greater than it is just buying a house. Yeah. yeah. So I, would you say, I guess, back to the question about if you wanted to start in real estate and you had a hundred thousand, 500,000 or a million, would you say if you had a million dollars, don't invest in one property, but try a few things with the million yeah, to I understand think- it? Or would you go big not that, not that a million is <laughs> even big anymore. To talk to you there. I'm still in the hamster wheel. So I'm yeah. not retired. I still work every yeah. day. So I obviously mm-hmm. haven't made it. So take what I'm saying. Well, I think probably most people it. listening are just like you and, right. and just like us. So yeah, so I, think- I would say small bites, diversify, um, mm-hmm. put a little bit in a few different buckets. Mm-hmm. If I had a million dollars invest, I wouldn't go plunk all million dollars down in one asset. Okay. Uh, you know, you could crush it or you could get crushed. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would absolutely put that in a few different buckets. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily all have to be real estate. I mean, we could talk yeah. about that too, but I don't want to delve outside my expertise. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Oh, go pe- ahead. oh, sorry. One question with people like working from home and like the e-commerce boom that we've had maybe in the last 10 years, have you guys seen like a decline in commercial real estate and like the need for it? That's a good question. When you say commercial, are you referencing office, 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 office buildings? Okay, let's talk yeah. brick and mortar retail. Yeah. yeah. That's the misconception. There's actually more demand right now for commercial office space than we've had in a while. Wow. Get the there. difference is they want less square footage and they want shorter term leases. Uh, so it. they want to be more nimble. Everyone, as much as they want to blast out to the market that they're a, Mm -hmm. you know, a work from home friendly company. Mm -hmm. If you get down to brass tacks with any founder, CEO, someone that's net income is directly affected by the actions of the employees or the people, whether they're in the office or out, I'd say the majority of them have told us behind closed doors, they want butts in seats. They want their employees in the office Mm -hmm. because there's a reason why a Home Depot the golf club and the ski resorts are full during the day. Now it's because people are quote unquote working from home. Exactly. Um, And they got the green screen behind him while they're skiing. Have you seen that on Instagram? The guy that has like, he's on his skis and he has a green board behind him. Like he's in the office. Uh He's taking a zoom going down the slopes. (laughs) A little bit of an exaggeration, but it helps you see their, 
their rationale is that it's harder mm-hmm. for them to keep employees accountable. Yeah. And totally. now why they're not, they're not able to fully embrace the 100% in office in most situations, what they've taken is the hybrid approach mm-hmm. where they have certain days where all hands on deck, the team comes into the office, they meet together and a few days a week where they work from home. Yeah. Well, for those few days, they still need a place to gather. So mm-hmm. they still need office. Yeah. It's hard to do that um, from home, obviously. Yeah. Um, so what they want to do though, is they don't want to get, they don't want to go sign a lease on a brand new, massive, big office building that mm-hmm. they design and build out themselves mm-hmm. and first generation space. And they got to sign a 10, 12 year lease. Yeah. They want to do a three year lease or a five year lease and mm-hmm. take less square footage or sublet a portion of the building. Mm-hmm. And so for us as brokers, that just means same amount of work or more for less pay. Yeah. You know, you just your check size isn't big because our compensation is based off the amount of square footage times the, the mm-hmm. term of the lease times mm-hmm. the lease rate. Mm-hmm. So if they're doing less square footage and they're doing it for a shorter period of time, it's less money. Yeah. But are we busy? Yeah, we've never been busier. We mm-hmm. have a ton of demand on the commercial awesome. side and our commercial team's cranking. That's awesome. That's yeah. really awesome. That's yeah. really great. That makes me want to get into that whole WeWork um, situation. But <laughs> They've done really well. Locally here, Kiln's crushing it. Uh-huh. Yeah, That's yeah. great. It's We've a, met there with clients. Yeah. It's a, it's, mm-hmm. it's an improvement yeah. on to the, the WeWork play, but mm-hmm. there's several that have followed suit in that same model and they've proven to be counter cyclical and doing really well in a down and an up market because people yeah. want that flexibility. If I just need a handful of offices, a great option to go. Now, once you start to go to scale, then it starts to make sense to have your own space in most scenarios. Um, but yeah, yeah. that's great. Okay. Final question. We ask this to everybody that comes on the podcast and that is how do you define luxury? How do I define luxury? Mm -hmm. Got me on the spot on that. I know. I have a feeling what your answer is going to be. Do you you want me to help you out? (laughs) You can tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like it's going to be that you get off the hamster wheel that you own enough properties, you have financial security, and that feels really good. I feel like that would probably be your answer more than living in a really fancy house and yeah, having a I great first impression. Financial but freedom? Yeah. That is a luxury that right? you have and we all aspire to. Mm-hmm. My head wasn't going there, but that oh, was the Where answer. were you going? A Rolex. I, I don't know, a presidential. <laughs> and all those, like, that's where my mind was going. By the yeah. way, that market's gone crazy. Have you seen that no. Rolexes have outperformed yeah. the S&P, real estate, crypto, yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah, The prices, go try and buy one. There you can't get, you walk in the store and they have them all out, but they're all the... They don't have the mechanism behind mm-hmm. them. I forget what they call them, but they're basically dummy watches. They don't actually oh, operate. They're like just the for time show. Piece, uh-huh. And you go, well, can I get one of those? Like, yeah, let me put your name down on a list. Stop. So, and I, I don't want to make, I'm not in the market for a Rolex. So like let's not that. interpret this the wrong way. I was just yeah. intrigued by it. So yeah. I, was in, I was on Rodeo Drive. So I yeah. walked in the Rolex store. They have like armed security guard, which by the way, makes no sense now that I know what I know because there's nothing in there to steal. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, he's there and he's screening you. Do you have an appointment? I'm like, Perceived no one's value. in there. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. Finally lets me in there and I'm talking to the clerk and I'm like, yeah, this one's really cool. Can I get one? He's like, yeah, we can put your name down on the list. So I'm like, okay, well, how many are on that list? And this is a $50,000 watch. Yeah. I'm like, how many people are on that list? And he's like, well, right now we have about 50. And I said, okay, well, how many... What's the absorption rate? Like how many of you sold this year? He's like, well, we actually haven't sold any this year. We haven't got any in. And I'm like, okay, so the waiting list is 50 people long. You don't even average one watch per year. 
best case scenario, 50 years before you give me a call or like a lot of those people fall off the list. It's just crazy. Cause yeah. going back like to what we talked about before, what do, you, like, what? do you pay like full money down or what do you like? Oh no, you just do? get on a list and they call you when it's available. Oh, that's Yeah, fun. exactly. Uh, uh. But, um, the market, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to spin this into a, a, a real estate kind of, yeah. you know, parlay here. That is the market is ripe with cash. People are still cash rich and that in equity, I guess we could say, mm-hmm. um, in their homes. And that's why you haven't seen a lot of distressed sales. So you don't see foreclosures. You don't see short sales because whether a seller wants to or not is one question, but the majority of them have the ability to discount price to a price that would move today mm-hmm. and still be able to pay off their mortgage and walk away with some cash, pay all their closing yeah. costs, pay off their debt and get mm-hmm. cash. It's just for so long, they've been accustomed to their neighbor selling for 20 grand more than the home before them sold the month before. Mm -hmm. And they just keep piggybacking on. And now the market's trending down, right? We've probably corrected in Utah somewhere between 12 to 15% over the last 12 months. And they're still thinking that they're going to get what more than their neighbor just got a few months ago. And it's, it's actually moving the other direction. And they could afford to sell it if they wanted to. But what we're seeing is expireds and off-market listings are increasing at an absorbent rate, meaning more pe- all those prospective sellers are just pulling their home off the market and saying, ah, if I can't make out like a bandit, then I'm just not going to sell. I'm going to hold on to it. Yeah. So now you're being left to more of the sellers that need to sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, so Should opportunity negotiate. to buy. Yeah. Exactly. More yeah. negotiating power. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Interesting. Thanks so much, John, for coming on today and educating us, sharing your knowledge. I feel smarter too. (laughs) I also talk more design. I also feel not depressed about the market right now. It's just a market correction. Yeah. Yeah, You'll come on next week for design. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see how the reviews are first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us guys. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like our show, please leave a five-star rating.